Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Radio. I'm Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review. Uh, later on in this episode, we'll have Sean Newkirk and Hokias on to talk about uh, all sorts of Royals news. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about some of the rule changes that are coming to baseball. Uh, but first, I wanted to continue our preview of Central Division opponents. This time, uh, we'll talk about the reigning division champs, the Cleveland Indians. And joining us now is Matt Lyons, editor of Let's Go Tribe. Matt, how's it going? Hey, it's going good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I'd I say division, reigning division champs, but they're actually, they've won the last three division titles. In fact, the last team to win the title that wasn't the Indians uh, it was the Royals. So uh, the Indians certainly have been on a roll. Uh, but what's interesting with this offseason is it seems like they were taking away pieces from, from the clubs that have made postseason appearances the last few years. They traded catcher Jan Gomes to the Washington Nationals for prospects. They traded away uh, Yonder Alonso, who had a really good season a couple years ago. Uh, with to the White Sox, and they also traded away uh, designated hitter Edwin Encarnacion in a three-way trade that netted them uh, Jake Bowers from the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, and there was also some trade rumors that they were considering dealing Corey Kluber, the ace of their staff. Uh, ultimately, they decided to hang on to him. But Matt, was it kind of surprising to you that they were looking to kind of take away from what was a very competitive club, and, and how was that kind of taken by the fan base? I think on the surface it's a little surprising. The first initial reaction is, of course, that they're they're just being cheap and selling off all these parts. And Jan Gomes, everybody seems to love him. Edwin Encarnacion is really good despite being in his mid-30s. But I think there's more to all these moves than on the surface. I think especially like the Jan Gomes one. Um, I think that's them. It's the epitome of selling high. Like, of course, Jan Gomes is very good on defense. He had, his bat was extremely good last year. Um, but Roberto Perez, for as bad as he is offensively, I think the Indians value catching the actual art of catching behind the plate a lot. And Roberto Perez has, a, just seems to be one of the best defensive catchers in all of baseball. I think baseball prospectus has him rated as by fielding runs above average, by like the top by several marks over every other catcher. So I'm not really concerned about the on Gomes trade exactly. And, and also the player that got back, Daniel Johnson from the, the nationals has been really good in spring training. Um, he's going to start in the lower levels, but eventually he's going to make the Indians. And then it's not going to be too worried about Jan Gomes, but I think all three of these trades are, the Indians trading away players that are probably going to start a decline relatively soon. This is the way they've always operated when they've been good is in recent years. Anyway, is they're good at getting players below market value and then getting rid of them before they start to decline. It's the same way they've, they've had Jose Ramirez for so long and Carlos Carrasco, they, who they just locked up again to a longer deal. And the same thing they tried to do with Francisco Lindor a couple of years ago, but failed with that seven year hundred million dollar offer. They supposedly made them, which was broken by the GM's son on a spring training broadcast, so that was really fun, but <laughs> um, that deal never went through. But this offseason, I think that there's a mix of fans. There's, al- there's always been the fans that call the Dolans cheap, and it's just kind of a meme among Indians' Twitter, but I think this point, it even goes beyond it's just not being cheap. It's, they're just doing it a way to, to give themselves more options to win, because I'm sure I don't want to be... <laughs> disparaging of the Royals on a Royals podcast, but I think it's clear that most of the AL Central is not going to be that competitive, for better or worse. No. Um, you're you're saying the Royals aren't going to be competitive this year? <laughs> I mean, competitive for like 60 win. you, you got to get that 60th <laughs> win. you got to fight for that. I take no offense <laughs> to that. That is absolutely true. <laughs> but yeah, it's so they're giving themselves a chance to keep winning the division and keep going into the lottery that is the playoffs and hope for something to work out. And the way they're doing it is by stretching out what they have and getting rid of these guys who are like, especially Edwin, I think he's going to decline relatively soon. Yonder Alonso wasn't that great for him last year anyway. And I think Jake Bowers, who they got back, the biggest one I was more worried about in the Bowers trade was losing Gandhi Diaz. 
he's one he's a, a third baseman with just massive biceps he was fun to watch his big problem was he'd hit the ball super hard straight into the dirt almost every single time and it's just weird that the, he, the indians never bothered to try to fix that they just sent him away along with edwin and to bring back jake bowers but bowers does provide the flexibility the indians didn't seem to to value yon Diaz's defense at all anywhere uh, but bowers at least can sort of work in left field or first base um so i think the outfield too in general is going to be not great, but better than a lot of people think based on what the Indians did this offseason. Instead of just paying like someone like Adam Jones $3 million, they have platoons and they have upside in the outfield who can probably be just as good as him for essentially league minimum or a minor league contract. So I think it makes sense what they're doing. They have Leonis Martin in center field who people seem to forget is going to be there. Um, left field is probably going to be Bowers and right field like Naquin, some kind of platoon over there. But it's going to be... They're still going to win the division by quite a few games, and they have a chance with their rotation to be one of the team best teams in baseball. So I don't really fault them as much as some people might for just going out and trying to stay as competitive as they can without selling themselves all for this one year where they really don't need to damage their future for one chance after the DL Central is going to be building for quite a while. Yeah, and it's kind of an interesting contrast in style because I think the Royals – you know, they built up their organization and they kind of pushed all their chips into make, you know, one big run in 2014 and 15. And then once that was over, I mean, we saw how quickly things just kind of fell apart in the organization. And they've kind of said they want to do more of a sustainable model this time around, which I think would suggest doing what the Indians are doing and building up assets. And then, like you say, trading those players away, not being afraid to trade away, you know, sometimes pretty popular players, letting them walk through free agency uh, and, and trading them before they decline in order to get younger prospects to keep, you know, that keep, like you say, get more uh, cracks at the postseason uh, and, and create a more sustainable winner. So uh, I'll be interested in seeing if the Royals actually follow through with that because it, it, it causes some heartburn and, and certainly some tensions with the fans when they see popular players get traded away. Uh, but, but sometimes those hard choices have to be made. Now, you know, the Indians have been known for their outstanding pitching rotation, uh, and so I'm wondering, are they done with the dealing? Because I, I mentioned that they were at least rumors that they were talking about trading away Corey Kluber. And if it's not Kluber, um, certainly they have a lot of starting pitching that a lot of other teams would covet. And while you say the, the outfield is going, to be, is going to be better than maybe some people think it will be, um, you know, certainly they, they might look to get at an outfield, uh, an outfielder. Um, and some people have suggested maybe the Padres could be a good fit since they need starting pitching really uh, quite a bit and have an excess of outfielders now. Uh, do you see that being a good fit, or, or do you think the Indians are, are kind of done uh, adding to this team right now? I think they're done for now. I don't know how, how realistic their idea of trading Bauer and Kluber, one of them away, was at any point. But I think, in general, they're probably going to wait until the trade deadline. They've even hinted, hinted at interviews that they're going to have um, they suspect that Paul Dolan's going to give them the resources they need at the deadline to make a deal because they really don't need a player for all season long. Like why trade, whether it's Kluber, Bauer, somebody now, when you could do it at the deadline and make sure of exactly what you need. Maybe Jason Kipnis bounces back and you don't need a second baseman or maybe the outfield is somehow great and you don't need an outfielder. So you can trade these pitchers later on for a playoff push when you know, have a better view of what you want. And um, I, I never really felt they were going to trade Bauer or Kluber all that heavily. I think it would have made sense if they wanted to do it, if they could have got something really good. Like there was a couple Dodger deals out there, or even the Padres. There's a couple prospects who I'd like from them to get back. Um, but yeah, I don't think if I don't think they're going to trade anymore now. They got Carlos Carrasco locked up for even longer. I, part of me wonders. It was kind of suspicious. I don't know if you noticed, but the the Corey Kluber and Trevor Bauer trade rumors were around the same time. Right when those ended were after Carlos Carrasco signed his deal, so I kind of had a ah. <laughs> sneaking suspicion it was partially like, look, we'll deal these guys away if you don't sign the deal. It's fine, Carlos. You love it here, so go ahead and sign on that dotted line. That's that's partially what I always sort of suspected, but I don't think they're going to trade either of them before the season starts. I'd be surprised to see them make any big moves before what is going to be now, the hard deadline on July 31st, so we'll see then, I think. And, and just keep staying on that, that outstanding pitching rotation, you know, developing starting pitching I think is – something this organization has given a lot of lip service about doing for a long time, and yet they've really, really struggled developing you know, good starting pitching. Even when they were a contender and a champion, um, their starting pitching was pretty pretty subpar for a, a contender. It was really their, their bullpen that really carried them over the edge. 
Uh, the Indians, on the other hand, have just been really successful at um, developing these pitchers. And what's interesting is these pitchers are all from other organizations. I mean, they were able to identify Corey Kluber in the Padres organization, Carlos Carrasco with the Phillies, Mike Clevenger with the Angels, Trevor Bauer with the Diamondbacks, and uh, and turn these guys into uh, just a, a great uh, staff that I think would be the envy of pretty much every team in baseball. Is it what, what is it that the Indians do? Is it that they're better at identifying these pitchers? Is it something they do with the, the pitcher development, or is it maybe just a little bit a little bit of luck there in getting these guys from other organizations? I feel like it's got to be all three to get a rotation this deep. You have to have you've had to dupe some people, have to get some good scouts, just had some some dumb luck, I think. But the Indians, this whole team is just built on straight robberies. Like you said, the whole rotation is these players that were sought after lower, except for Trevor Bauer, of course, he was a first round pick, but. Like you said, Kluber, Carrasco, uh, Clevenger was traded for half a season of a reliever, and look at what he is now. The Indians, I think they've had all along, they're the kind of things they can identify in good pitchers to bring them in, and they've just been really good at picking those guys out early. Um, I don't know, they have Keith Wallard, who used to write for Baseball Prospectus. He's he's a really smart guy in their analytic department running it, so I think whatever secret formula he has back there working is is what the Indians are using to to pick out these guys so early on. And it's not even just pitchers. I mean, Carlos Santana was traded for Casey Blake at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they have more that I'm missing, but there was Michael Brantley. I mean, he was a throw-in for CC Sabathia. So this whole team, this whole winning group of players has just been built on these trades of identifying so young early on. And, and the Indians do have a really good system up and down. All their managers are great. Um, but until recently, Mickey Calloway was in the majors. That helped a ton, I think. Um, and even now, I think Carl Willis is doing a fine job. So, I think it's just a mix of everything. From the top down, they have a really forward-thinking um, front office. And I'm, I'm interested to see now that other teams have, I think, caught up to the way the Indians and I guess the Cubs and Astros have been doing it. Not all these teams are going to win forever like this. So when when all these rebuilding teams are hitting at the same time, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how the Indians react to that and continue to stay on top of things. I think part of that of what they're doing now is is the way they're just banking on these players to to break out all these outfielders they've gotten to the top of the top levels of the minors hoping one of them works to get another steal like this but eventually the the dupes are going to be gone <laughs> they're not going to find all these players they these these other teams they can just swindle for these veterans like i would assume that's what they were trying to do with Corey kluber in this case but nobody's willing to give them essentially another Corey kluber lower in the minors to to get him back so they didn't bother but uh, but yeah i think it's a mix of all three you got to have some luck you got to have some good coaching and the Indians are just really good at identifying these lower-level prospects and trades. Well, the Royals are trying to stay ahead of the curve this year by doubling down on speed. It's, it seems like they're going to make that kind of the theme of this team. And I went, I went back and looked at you know, who led the American League in steals last year, and it was uh, a little bit surprised. It was the Cleveland Indians, but I guess I shouldn't be too surprised. I mean, Jose Ramirez had an outstanding year last year with 34 steals. Um, Francisco Lindor has a lot of speed, 25 steals. Greg Allen and Rajay Davis uh, both had over 20 steals in limited roles. So, um, you know, that was very successful for the Indians since they finished third and run scored. But, of course, they also did a great job getting on base, uh, third and on base percentage, and they hit 216 home runs. Those are two aspects of the game that I don't think the Royals will be able to replicate quite as well. But, you know, can you talk a little bit about how speed factors into the Cleveland Indians offense is it something that they stress or rely on much or is it just kind of something that you know they want to be good in a lot of aspects of the game and they happen to have a couple speedy guys in their lineup I think it's more of a byproduct except for the case in Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor they're just they're just fast infielders but I think a lot of what the Indians are building now in the outfield is focusing on defense and obviously those guys are going to be fast and cover the outfield I mean Bradley Zimmer who was injured a lot of last year he is one of the fastest players in baseball, so he's going to be up there too this year. And Greg Allen is super fast. Um, Oscar Mercado, who they got from the Cardinals last um, at the trade deadline, he's out fast as well. So I think it's, I don't think they're focusing on speed as much as just on base percentage and hitting the ball hard. I think is the two main things they're looking at. But the, that also comes along with you get some really speedy players. And I I I believe in the last couple of years, Rajai Davis especially helped. Um, even just the little things, like he has that that mitt that he wears when he steals bases, and all of a sudden other Indians were wearing it. Um, I always thought that was pretty interesting. But the Indians, they don't seem to. I don't know if they're focusing on steals a whole lot, even speed in general, because they they bunt so dang much is is <laughs> the worst thing. Which is, I guess, sort of helps when you have speed. But I just wish they would stop doing that. But yeah, I think it's mostly on base percentage and and hitting the ball hard is just really what they're looking at more than speed itself. 
Well, let's talk about that starting lineup um, and and what what we expect to see out of the Indians when the season starts. Um, I think most of the starters are pretty well set. I mean, certainly up the middle with you when you have uh, you know, guys like Francisco Lindor. Uh, where's where's Jose Ramirez going to play, and how does the rest of that lineup kind of shake out for the Indians this year? Oh, I'm still bad at picking the order of lineups, but <laughs> to give it, I, I would be excited to see if um, Terry Francona goes back to using Carlos Santana in the leadoff or number two spot. He hit him there a lot. I mean, he's a big, slow first baseman, but he gets on base a ton, and it was a really forward-thinking move that was really good. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised to see Francisco Lindor, when he comes back, being at the top of the lineup, um, then probably Santana, Kipnis, Ramirez, and the, some kind of mix in the four. And then the others, I mean, it's just pick a name out of a hat, whoever's playing that day. Put Roberto Perez last, whatever outfielders you want in the mix. Maybe Leonis Martin up at the top of the lineup with his speed. But I also think the Indians focus more on uh, – Terry Francona specifically focuses on, on base percent at the top of the lineup now. There was a time early on when he had, like, Michael Bourne up there, which was weird. But but now I think Francona's come a long way in, in understanding and using analytics to get his people on base who can get on base. And Jose Ramirez, of course, he can do everything. You just want to get him as many bats as possible, whether that's the three-hole or the two-hole and – um, and of course, opening day, it's not going to be Francisco Lindor. It's, I, I hate to say Ryan Flaherty, maybe at shortstop, Max Moroff, Eric Stametz. This is the one place where there's going to be just some random guy at shortstop until Lindor is ready if he can't come back. Although he is playing in controlled spring training games, so maybe he will, but probably not. Um, so it's going to be a, a rough lineup for a little bit with Lindor up. But once he gets back, I would assume just Lindor, Ramirez, Santana at the top with Kipnis somewhere in there as well. And then, I mean, just, just throw those outfielders wherever you want in the lineup. <laughs> They're not going to make a huge impact either way. Well, and it seems like they have a lot of positional versatility, too, with Ramirez able mm-hmm. to play second and third. Kipnis can play second in the outfield. Bowers can play outfield and first base. Is there an idea of, you know, are they going to have set set guys at defensive positions, or are they, is Terry Francona going to move guys around a lot? Oh, no. Tito loves moving his guys around. I think Jose Ramirez doesn't like it as much. There was at one point last year he asked – when he moved to second base to make room for Josh Donaldson, he essentially said, like, I don't want to be bounced around anymore. So they left him at second base. Now he's back at third. I would think they're not going to move him no matter what. Um, Jason Kipnis is going to be second base. I'd be surprised to see him go to the outfield just because whatever he brings out there is not going to be better than the the replacement-level players or slightly above average they have in the outfield now. And then, of course, Jake Bowers is going to be a first baseman. Um, he's really athletic, so I'm sure he'll be in left field at one point. But it, it really depends on what other veteran makes the team. Because they have Hanley Ramirez, who is obviously not going to be in the field. So if he's the the full-time DH, I think we'll see more Jake Bowers in the outfield and just spelling Santana at first base once in a while. But if Matt Joyce makes the team, then maybe it's some kind of platoon with him in the outfield and Bowers gets stuck at first base, DH more often. But I think the Indians' goal this whole time has been... The whole reason they made that Yandy Diaz uh, and Canarcion trade for Jake Bowers is to get him just his versatility because Tito likes that so much having players go between left field and first base. And, but I don't think we'll see much of it just because of, I mean, there's just so many outfielders. There's Jason Kipnis is probably not going to go out there and Jose Ramirez doesn't want to move. Um, I think this will actually probably see, I think less flexibility this year than we have in past years. There's just no super utility player anymore. Eric Gonzalez, who they had last year is gone. He's in Pittsburgh now. Um, and other than just like regular backup roles, I don't know if we'll see anybody else move a whole lot. We touched upon the rotation a little bit, but if you want to give us, you know, the four or five starters they'll start the year start the year with, and then what are some bullpen names we should uh, be watching this year for Cleveland? I think the rotation. I mean, a lock. It's Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Carlos Carrasco, Mike Clevenger, Shane Bieber. I mean, all of those guys are even down the Bieber. If he can play up his potential this year, he's like a number three guy as the Indians' number five starter. So this rotation is going to be insane this year. Um, I mean, I don't know what to say about Corey Kluber and Trevor Bauer and Carlos Carrasco. Those three, you can interchange them. It's probably going to be Corey Kluber on opening day just because he's Corey Kluber. But next year could be the year where we see Trevor Bauer start to be a real Cy Young winner. Um, maybe opening day the year after that. And Carlos Carrasco, who they just locked up again, he's going to be sticking around a little longer. And I think Kluber is interesting because he's turning into a different kind of pitcher now. He's clearly losing some of his stuff um, as he's just getting older. But he's just turning into a guy who doesn't walk anybody which also coincidentally is what Shane Bieber is. So the Indians are not going to walk a whole lot of players this year. And then Trevor Bowers is a freak developing pitches. And he's got so many pitches now. He has a, tra- a changeup that he threw. I think he threw it every single time to Eric Hosmer on the Padres. <laughs> it just made him look silly in the one at bat. Um, and then he's Mike Clevenger. He's rubbing off on him, who's also making a bunch of just developing pitches and getting so much better. 
And I mean, the bullpen, it's Brad Hand and whoever. <laughs> Just like the outfield again. This new three batter minimum, I think, is going to. I think the Indians are one of the teams that's going to affect the most. They have um, Oliver Perez, who was strictly a loogie. He was one of the most who only faced one batters last year. They're going to have to find a way to still use him, but also barricade him against right-handers who are just going to mash him every time. So it's going to be interesting to see what Terry Francona does. He's loved his bringing in just specialty guys, just one after the other. And that's one reason I kind of like this three-batter minimum. I know it hurts the Indians deep down inside, but I also hate watching just one guy come in, commercial break, warm up, get another one out, do it again. (laughs) And Tito has loved it. He's had his eight-man bullpens occasionally. So it's going to be interesting to see how they do it because Tyler Olson's probably I don't know what he's going to do. He's a loogie as well. If they don't think they can te- keep two on the roster now with how things are set up, and I mean the bullpen's going to be just helping guys bounce back from last year. It was so bad, um, but it's also a bunch of guys who are not that shouldn't be that terrible. Adam Simber's a really interesting underhanded thrower. Um, Nick Goody was year, good a year before. Dan Otero used to be reliable. Maybe he can be again. And they're also going to have just the starters who can't fit in the rotation this year which is like Adam Plutko, Cody Anderson, maybe Tristan McKenzie. He won't be ready till midseason, but their top prospect, if he can be healthy and ready to go by the end of the season, maybe he sees some time in the bullpen when they're getting ready for the playoffs. So there's just a lot of hoping that players bounce back in the bullpen, especially. I mean, the starting rotation is what it is. It's going to be maybe the best in baseball, but the bullpen is a lot of question marks and a lot of hope, a lot of blind hope. Well, yeah, I do feel like the, the rule change um... – for having three, three facing three batters as a minimum, I feel like that was targeted right at Terry Franco. <laughs> I know he draws it the eye of a lot they of Royals just had a fans. picture of him up in the room and yeah. was just looking at it like you're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know he's drawn the ire of a lot of Royals fans for his mid-inning pitching changes. I guess the good thing for him is he does have a year. I mean, it's not they don't uh, they won't be implementing it till 2020, so he's got a year to prepare. But uh, yeah, he's going to have to change his uh, change his ways a little bit. Uh, let's let's kind of wrap up by looking at uh, the expectations for the Indians this year. Um, you know, they've gotten close, so close to winning it all. Uh, they've certainly been a contender for the last couple of years. Pakoda projects them to win 96 games, which is pretty high, uh, tied for uh, the second highest in the American League. Um, what what are your expectations? What are the fans' expectations for for the Indians this year? Is there kind of is there any kind of restlessness that the team hasn't uh, gone all the way yet or is or is there maybe still a lot of hope that they've got this core together for a while and, and they'll have a few more bites at this thing there's actually the extreme restlessness within the indians fan base because of i think getting there getting to the world series and losing in the first year almost made these last two years more difficult to watch in 2017 they were really good and then they blew it in the first round and then last year the whole season was just miserable to watch they weren't that great of a team and they got swept in the playoffs. So I think there's a lot of just anxious Indians fans. Um, I know the Royals, I think you guys had, had like the two super good years, and then it was over. I almost am sort of jealous of you that <laughs> you got to avoid the several years of people just watching a good team and still being angry at them all the time, which is what the Indians fans are doing right now. It's, there's a lot of calling that the the window's closing and slamming shut because they got rid of Jan Gomes and Edmund Encarnacion, but I don't think that's quite the case. Like I said earlier, I think their plan is to keep the window open as long as possible and keep feasting on this week AL Central. And this year, I think it's going to result in another like low, mid-90s win total, and that'll win the division by a good 12, 13 games, depending on how good the Twins do. So I'm hoping it's not another first-round blowout. I think their rotation can be enough to carry them through a couple rounds, hopefully to the World Series. And Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez, if they show up in the ALDS like they did not do last year, then things can go a lot better, a lot quicker and and just the the randomness of the playoffs i think the indians are really built built well to deal with that with how good the rotation is and they're just going to be winning the division for a while now but there's definitely a lot of restlessness in the in the fan base if they get blown out in the first round again next offseason is going to be just on completely unbearable (laughs) unless the indians spend a hundred million dollars on several players then no matter what they do no fan's going to be happy with with what they do but I'm, i'm pretty okay with where they are I'm okay with watching a winning team for several more seasons win the division and hopefully it results in a couple World Series. Well, I went to school at Ohio State, and a lot of my, my roommate was an Indians fan. I knew a lot of Indians fans there. Uh, so, I look, I, I, I'm cheering, I'm rooting against you guys when you play us, but I would kind of like to see the Indians win it. You know, especially right now while the Royals are down, uh, I think it would be kind of neat to see the Indians win it all after, you know, what, what was it now, six decades uh, without a championship? Uh, and with the Browns making their moves this offseason, I kind of feel like we're seeing the ascendant, 
uh, Cleveland, the ascendant sports town. Uh, so that, that'll be, I think, kind of be fun to watch. And, and hopefully Cleveland can kind of break through and make it all the way. But, Matt, uh, tell us a little bit about where we can find your stuff and follow all the uh, latest news about the Cleveland Indians. Yeah, you can find me. Um, I run Let's Go Tribe on Let's Go Tribe on socials, Facebook, Twitter, all that. And we also have a podcast called Let's Talk Tribe. You can just search for if you ever want to hear. I know it's all Royals fans, but if you want to hear Indians talk, then just look for Let's Go Tribe on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll you'll find us. That sounds great, Matt. And thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we'll we'll have to have you again uh, sometime, and maybe we'll talk uh, about how the Royals are chasing the Indians in a surprising pennant run uh, later this year. <laughs> I do hope so. Not even joking. I want the division to be better just so it's more watchable i want competition so i am very much rooting for that in a couple of years have the royals be fun again all right we'll cross our fingers thanks so much <laughs> yep we're back and i'm now joined by two of our senior writers uh first of all we have co-host uh sean newkirk sean how are you doing tonight hi max good glad to be here as always uh, we're also joined by Hokaius. Hokaius, how are you? I'm doing awesome. Good, good. Well, we, hey, we're, we're doing really well because baseball's almost here. Uh, we're just a little over a week from opening day, and we've got a little bit better idea who's making this Royals team. Luckily, there wasn't too much news this week, save for a Jason Adam trade to the Blue Jays and do, Donnie DeWeese to the Cubs, a couple minor trades. Uh, but the fact that there's no news, that's good news because that means the Royals didn't have any more injuries this week. Um, but there are reporters down in Arizona. One of them uh, is Sam Mellinger, uh, who does really good work, nice guy. And, you know, they're looking for stories that are kind of the narrative of the season for the Royals. And I think there was a really interesting article he had this week about the process 2.0. And, and in the article, he's kind of talking about the Royals' offseason acquisition of Billy Hamilton and how the Royals are really doubling down on speed this year. And it's kind of justifying, you know, saying and saying, hey, this is uh, this looks anti-money ball because Hamilton is a low on-base percentage guy He's and he's really fast and, and you know speed isn't really valued as much by by the metrics but actually if you look at it this is actually money ball because speed is being undervalued in the market right now and so the Royals are trying to zig while the other teams zag and that was ultimately the, the overall message of the money ball philosophy and I think there's some truth to that but uh, I think you know a lot of our writers uh, Sean you had a lot of tweets uh, that had uh, in response to this uh, Matthew Lamar had a really good article in response to this, and Hokaias, you had a really good article uh, this weekend in response to it. Let's, let's start with you, Hokaias. What was kind of your overall take from that article, and and what does that give you? What kind of sense does that give you about the direction of this franchise? Well, the the biggest things that I took away from that article were that the Royals are are kind of going back to where they were when they when they were going to the playoffs. I remember 2014, 2015, they talked about, oh, speed and defense. No one cares about those anymore. Nobody's paying for those anymore. So we're going to do that. And and they kind of did. But it's it's a question of were they successful in 2014 and 2015 because of that or were there other factors that were were more important? And just some of the framing of the article um, was a little bit interesting to me. Uh, one example was the the argument that the Royals started going for power all of a sudden uh, after they won the World Series, which seemed counter, counterintuitive to me, I guess, because the the I believe Sam. Um, and I love Sam Mellinger, uh, or however you pronounce his last name. I should probably learn that at some point. Um, I love reading his articles, but he, he pointed out Brandon Moss was uh, was this power signing. And if Brandon Moss is a power signing, then I want to know what Kendris Morales is. He, he seemed like a, a much bigger power guy, and he helped win championships. I mean, he, he had the, wasn't it the 30 home runs in 2015? Those were pretty important for getting as far as they got. And then uh, he had the the death blow against the Astros in the ALDS. So um, I, it was just a little weird. It, and and uh, Matt, uh, Matthew Lamar had that article earlier this week that reminded me that, oh, hey, you know, the Royals uh, – aren't really very good at free agents or uh, at, at trades. They've they've had a couple really good ones, but then a lot of... they The smaller ones always seem to be... They don't really go anywhere. So if they can't... If they can't... Uh, they can't trade, they can't sign free agents, and uh, I believe Sean has pointed out that they haven't been drafting, then what? it, it almost doesn't matter what they're trying to do. 
Yeah, and Sean, you know, the piece is kind of about free agency, and, you know, J.J. Piccola says, you know, if we had the money to sign elite free agents, we wouldn't be talking about this so much. We can't go head-to-head with what everyone else wants. We'll lose every time when it comes to the free agent market. So they're kind of arguing that, hey, you know, we need to find inefficiencies in the market. However, is is really going for speed the best way to go? And, and is it really accurate to say that they can't maybe find good offensive players or good starting pitchers in the free agent market just because they're a small market franchise? Yeah, I think that there's there's this inherent issue with Moneyball with not okay not with Moneyball itself, but with this idea that there are kind of Moneyball concepts out there in the sense that if you think of you know the first Moneyball, which is was effectively on base percentage, um, that's 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 inventing the wheel, that's finding you know that's creating fire for the very first time, like that was such a revolutionary concept. That trying to apply that concept to something else um, is just going to be so, so difficult that, I mean, there is nothing more fundamentally important to an offense than getting on base. Um, You can't stretch that same topic, I don't think, to speed or to defense just because it's just not that impact level. So while there can be smaller versions of kind of money ball, I don't think that this idea of like, oh, the new money ball is this when it's more like, well, the new lesser money ball because you're never going to ever find a concept out there you know likely that's the size of on base percentage effectively was uh, in baseball so i i i have a fundamental disagreement on that sense that anything can even be the new money ball and i think as kind of what i've shown and matthew and what akaisa has shown is that yeah i mean uh speed and defense just isn't enough to propel an off there's been fast teams there's been very good defensive teams and they weren't good enough to kind of always make a team contenders because as uh, Okaius had mentioned as well that, I mean, in 2015, every, not every single, but I think it was five guys had a WRC plus above 120. Mm. So, I mean, if they had WRC pluses of 90, <laughs> they're not going to make the uh, even playoffs. So yeah, the speed and defense was nice, but it was not as important as all, you know, f- five guys on the team being 20% or better hitters. I, here's my question real quick. Besides the fact that you you talk about OBP is just so fundamental to the game of baseball. So if if that's true, then what the athletics did with Moneyball back then was they found something that was fundamental to baseball that no one else saw. But the analytics departments are are much bigger for all of these teams now. It, I mean, is there is it even possible for anything impactful to go yeah. under the radar at all anymore? that's what i was saying that's what i was like it's unlikely i mean it's possible sure but it's like what flaw are we missing and not a little flaw what revolutionary flaw are, are we not seeing right now that's out there that and i don't even know if it's necessarily and maybe it could be something if you think of it through um, maybe we're not weighing an aspect that should be weighted a lot heavier um but, I mean, we're talking, we'd have to almost not care. Because, I mean, think about pretty much pre-2000, uh, batting average was the main thing that mattered for evaluated hitter. And then, of course, um, the Oakland A's and that kind of revolution flipped that on its head and, you know, made on-base percentage basically be the main thing that matters for a hitter. So unless we just find something that we're extremely undervaluing at this point and can flip it, I don't think there's a Moneyball 2.0 necessarily. Yeah, and the thing, the notion that on-base percentage is like this this unattainable uh, value that only big market teams can obtain at this point, I think that's a little bit, um, you know, I don't know if that's exactly what the Royals are saying, but, you know, if you're a small market team, you can get on-base percentage. Like, the Tampa Bay Rays were fifth in on-base percentage in all the, all the majors last year. The Indians were sixth. The Reds were ninth. And those were, what, three of the lowest payrolls in baseball last year, all lower than the Royals. Uh, the Indians actually a little bit higher. So, but the Athletics were, I think, led the league in home runs, and they had a, a much smaller payroll than the Royals. Now, you know, there are different points of the success cycle, and you know, the Royals have a couple of bad contracts on their books. But um, you know, the point is, if you make on base percentage uh, a priority in all your acquisitions, so through trades, through the draft, uh, and free agency, you're going to have players that have high on a high on base percentage. Uh, you know, like if the Royals had said to the Brewers at the trade deadline last year, hey, we're only going to take players that are really good at getting on base. 
uh, then then more likely they would have gotten that. You know, at some point, you know, if that's something that you you require. Then you can get that in the trade market. And yeah. the Royals haven't made that a priority. They made speed and defense a priority, and that's I think defense is great. I think it's good to make defense a priority in this ballpark, but I think you, I think it still has to be one B to the one A, which is on base percentage, and that still has yeah, to be and primary. Yeah, and I think if you if you look at the leaders, the on base percentage leaders since 2010. And I'm just going to – I'll just do the first five. Uh, Joey Votto with the Reds, uh, drafted. Mike Trout for the Angels, drafted. Miguel Cabrera with the Tigers, technically traded. Um, Aaron Judge, drafted. Paul Goldschmidt, drafted. I mean, it's not like, you know, the top OBP guys were all $200 million free agency contracts. I mean, these were guys that were internally developed in their organization. So, I mean, it's it's not easily attainable, but it's obtainable. Uh, to find just good baseball players that, you know, it's, it's not like you have to go spin to get OBP. OBP is, a, I think, a very uh, a very liquid asset that's out there that could be, you know, obtained, um, not fairly easily, but it does not cost, you know, significant amount of dollars to obtain it. And it could be the case that it's just hard to find in the draft in that it's hard to project what an 18-year-old kid what his yeah. discipline is going to be like when he's 24, 25 years old. I mean, there was a really good article at the ringer uh, last week that took, they, they obtained like 70,000 scouting reports from the reds over the last yeah. couple of years. And there were some scouting reports that said, Hey, we don't think Joey Votto is going to be any good, uh, which probably wasn't that unpopular of a take back then. I mean, he was kind of an unheralded, you know, draftee at the time. It took him a while to even make prospect lists as a minor leaguer. Uh, but, you know, he ended up being one of the most patient hitters in the big leagues. But it's kind of hard to project that. And maybe the Royals are saying, you know, look, we're not very good at projecting that. We are good at projecting speed because you can tell a kid that's 18 yeah. years old is that's a burner. He's going to be a burner at <laughs> right. 24. That's not a skill. Like projecting speed is not a skill that mm-hmm. a front office has. It's it's something that anybody with a stopwatch can do. Right, right. You know, I think Ned Yost comes down and it says it the best. You know, he says – you know, who knows? There's a lot of things we got to do. Speed ain't worth a damn if you don't get on pace. So, I mean, Ned, I mean, I hate to say it, but Ned's kind of the voice of reason there that, um, you know, this all the speed talk's great, but ultimately the team has to get on base. So, I was going to say, the guy who batted LCD's Escobar leadoff for, you know, <laughs> three years well, is kind of preaching. a long about, time to come around yeah. about OVP. Bringing up Alcides Escobar reminds me of the the one thing that the speed and defense Royals of 2014 and 2015 had that this team does not look like it has, and that's the ability to not strike out. They didn't have any OBP, but those guys put the ball in play all the time, and now they're just getting guys who are fast like Brett Phillips and uh, and Billy Hamilton are kind of the poster boys for this, to my way of thinking. Yeah, they're fast and they're good at defense, which is what we did before, but they strike out a lot. Yeah. So does Mondesi too. Yeah. If you want to find, if you want to field a team that really fits Kaufman Stadium well, uh, yeah, you want a team that 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 can, that can run a little bit and and defend the ball, especially in the outfield. But you want to take advantage of that spacious um, outfield and find guys that can put the ball in play, find those deep alleys, have the ball rattle around, uh, and not strike out a lot. Because if you're striking out, you're not hitting the ball into the gap at all. So. Um, and I, you know, I, there's, I want to do some more research on it, but I wonder if like, if Kaufman has a higher BABIP than maybe other ballparks, uh, if that would bear that out. But, but yeah, that certainly would be one way to go where, look, you don't want to get on base percentage guy, or it's hard to find guys with good walk rates. That's fine. But you could at least try to find guys with low strikeout rates that can put the ball in play, hit for a higher average in Kaufman stadium than in other stadiums. And that would be another market inefficiency, but yeah, they haven't really gone that route either. Um, Brett Phillips is a high strikeout guy. Um, the, the team is kind of, you know, in the middle of the pack as far as strikeout rate. And they, their prospects, actually, what's really surprising is like guys like Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, Khalil Lee, they're all pretty high strikeout guys. Salih Matias, especially. Um, so it doesn't seem like that's going to change anytime soon unless Nicky Lopez's philosophy takes over the entire team. So, uh, yeah, that's another way they could go that, that, um, that you pointed out. I thought that was a really good point. Sorry to spoil it for you. The Royals were 10th in Babbitt last year at home at Kaufman. Kaufman was, well, okay, that's just the Royals hitters. But at Kaufman, they had the 10th highest Babbitt for a home team. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious to see what, what, that, what, what the, that would be like over time. But, yeah, maybe yeah. it's not. Yeah, maybe it's just a uh, they, you know, what a conventional wisdom that doesn't really bear out. So, And, of course, first is Coors. Um, but strangely, well, maybe not strangely, second was um, Fenway which I guess makes some sense. Center field's really deep. So is right field. But you've got basically, you know, uh, Little League World Series 
size wall. Uh, you know, left field is, has the dimensions of the Little League World Series as far as distance wise. So, but it gets yeah, it gets pretty deep out there. In yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the last thing I wanted to wrap up with is that Major League Baseball announced they were going to make some rule changes for this year, uh, this year and next year, but definitely some rules that are that are taking place this year. Um, one of them is. They're going to have one July 31st trade deadline. That means no waiver deals in August. So once you've made a deal in July 31st, that's it. No more trades after that. Um, there's going to be an all-star election day where we're still going to have online voting for a number of weeks where Royals fans can, can pack the ballots again. But then the top three uh, candidates at each position will go to a runoff on one day for a 24-hour period. Uh, fans will vote for the starters. There's going to be increased prizes for the Home Run Derby, which not a lot of people honestly care about, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Mound visits will be reduced this year from 6 to 5. They're going to shorten commercial breaks by like 15 seconds. Uh, And then next year, I think the most controversial uh, move will be next year, pitchers must face at least three hitters or... Uh, before the you know before the mid inning change, so uh, if you come in the middle of the if you come in, you have to face at least three hitters before the uh, inning is over. Um, that's going to I think have a big impact on a lot of situational lefties. They're also going to move roster sizes to 26 in September. They're going to limit it to 28 instead of letting all the call ups come on come in and uh, have 40 man rosters. And they're also going to change the injured list, which used to be called the disabled list, back to 15 days. So, Sean, let's start with you. Like what? What's kind of your is our, first of all? Do you do you think these are good rule changes? And um, what kind of impacts do you think we'll see from this? I and mean, is is this going to change how we see baseball a lot, or is this kind of working at the periphery? Um, the All Star Game thing, I could not give a care about. Same thing with the Home Run Derby, <laughs> I don't really care. Um, but I mean, it sure whatever. Um, I, I do like I, I like the idea of closing shortening the windows on things. Um, as evidenced by the past week's free agency and, and, and football um, having, and not that it's closed just that window, but it's, it makes things much more exciting that there's a smaller window that you have to crunch stuff into. So having the all-star voting in that shorter kind of window. Okay. That's a, that's cool. I guess um, overall, I'm trying to think like, I like the idea of the 26 man roster um, having that. I absolutely do not like the idea of the three batter minimum. Um, I saw someone say that, you know, why should why should rules get in the way of strategy? But I think actually that's true. Strategy should be shaped around the rules. Um, but I still don't like the idea of forcing minimums onto um, players just because it does take away a little bit of an element of the strategy. Um, but as I think I was reading, I forget if fan graphs it might have been, um, basically said like, the the threshold of guys who had who only faced three or fewer batters was like going way way down over time. So it's not even it's not even as big as an issue as it might seem. Um, so well, I think some of them are good, but yeah, I don't I don't really love the three batter minimum one. You know, Caius, it seems like what they're trying to get at is is move the game along, pick up the pace of play. But are these rules really going to have that big of an impact? I mean, are we going to see games drastically shorten next year? I. I would be very, very surprised. Did we talk about the rule where they're they're dropping like five seconds or something off? Yeah, of the, they're off of the commercial, commercial breaks. breaks. Yeah, by, by a little bit, not not significantly. Um, so they're they're gonna try and save a few minutes here and there, and then they're probably gonna put commercials on the in the during the game. You know, even more than we already have them, because um, you know we already have the whatever the play of the game sponsored by Coors or whatever it was. Um, and we'll see probably more of that kind of stuff, I guess it's, I, somebody said that if you were upset about the pace of baseball, I will probably more than one, somebody, but a bunch of people have said this, uh, uh, if you're, if you're already not interested in baseball because of the speed of the game, then you've probably already moved over to some other sport or onto something else entirely. And that seems about right to me. Um, if you like baseball, then you like baseball and man, you know, sure. It's obnoxious that it's three hours, but it's, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. Uh, I just, I don't know what they can do that will make a huge difference other than maybe the pitch clock, but which, which it they sounds didn't, which, like surprisingly they didn't uh, implement. Yeah. But I, I think it's coming and I think the, but it's going to be, it's going to be a nasty fight to get that in because the players really don't want that. From everything I've read and heard, yeah, I was—I mean, I was just really surprised they didn't implement because it is—they've been using it in spring training. It's been 
uh, in the minor leagues, it's um, it, the commissioner technically can unilaterally impose a pitch clock if he wanted to. You're right, the union has opposed it, but it's kind of we're kind of on the slippery slope towards acceptance. And it seems like an idea that um, more, more people are willing to embrace than say the three batter minimum rule, which got, did get a lot of there was quite a bit of backlash from baseball purists and also some players as well. So and I think the pitch clock could have a bit of an impact. You know, what bothers me, the, the mid-inning pitching changes bother me a little bit, I guess, when Terry Francona is in a September <laughs> game when he's up, you know, 25 games in the standings and he makes three pitching changes to get, you know, a couple extra guys in the game. That does irritate me a little bit. But I think what, what's more irritates me in, in, in October when the, you know, we're playing the World Series and you're trying to appeal to more casual fans that aren't haven't been tuning in maybe all year is, you know, when Pedro Baez takes, you know, three hours to get ready on the mound or a guy is kind of, you know, adjusting and readjusting and, and, you know, telling his catcher to go through the signs again, that does get kind of tedious after a while. And so I, I think that would have a much bigger impact than, than these changes. Uh, you know, honestly, a lot of this just really seems like window dressing. And, and I agree with Sean, the, the three batter minimum uh, just seems like a, a, it seems like an answer you're looking for a problem. You know, it's, it's not the minimum changes. They're, they're a deal, but they're not that big a deal. And, and like you said, the, the number of one out, uh, relievers is because it's been going down anyway, especially with, with you know, the, the rule change with the roster change is that they're, they're going to have to limit the number of pitchers on the roster, and they haven't said exactly how many pitchers, but it's probably going to be something like 12 pitchers on the roster, which means you can't really afford to have a guy that only faces one hitter anyway, so you're going to have to have everyone be able to face a couple of hitters. I can, I can absolutely see scenarios where uh, a team uh, you know, loses a close game because their reliever came in and he walked two guys and well, normally we'd say, Oh, he, he doesn't have it. Get him out right now. And then he, he gives up a home run and everyone mm-hmm. says, Oh, MLB screwed us. Yeah. Or the first time a guy gives a back to back to back home runs or something like that. Right. Or, you know, or, or when, it, um, if someone gets hurt because you know, they walked the first guy, weren't really feeling great. Uh, but they, they stayed in there cause he has to face three minimum. He's not really hurt yet. And then he gets hurt. And then some yeah. team's going to probably scream bloody murder over it. The other case that a couple of people have raised on Twitter is that what if someone just fakes it? <laughs> it says, oh, my arm, it hurts, it hurts. Right. And baseball says they'll have some precautions against that, but I don't know how you really how you really safeguard against that. Do you, um, do you guys think that baseball's – do you think that games are too long? I don't. I think that – I mean, if you look at NFL games, they last longer. Uh, but no one minds because the game kind of moves along and you got replay – between each play. I think the problem with yeah. baseball is that um, a game can get can slow, slow to a crawl. It is the pace of play rather than the overall length of games. So that when you have an inning that takes 20 minutes because, you know, you have a lot of dead time with guys going through signs again or readjusting their cap or, um, you know, just taking forever to get a pitch out. I think that's what really hurts the game. As far yeah. as when, well, you, when you get late into the game and you've got, these guys come in and they're these flamethrowers and they strike three guys out, but it takes 20 minutes because of the stuff we talked about going through the signs over and over again. And, and he fouls 10 pitches off and all this stuff. And there's no real tension because the team's up by three, but you know, no, and nobody's on base, but you still got to have your best guy out there. Cause you don't want them to even get in close. And, and uh, you know, football, any, it, it could change in an instant, right? Um, you know, he could go down and get a touchdown right now. And if you're down by three, then eh, it'll take a little bit longer to get there. But you're still bringing in your best stuff, and it, it, it can make it feel a little overdone. Yeah, I I just wondered, like, okay, I don't think most fans think that games are really too long. Maybe, I mean, everybody would like games to be quicker, but I think the overall time spent on a game is not unreasonable. And I, I just think of, like, is there any other <laughs> form of entertainment out there that's, like, Hey, let's shorten kind of I, movies, man. Let's, movies let's have gotten way less. too long. <laughs> no, you know? but, but but there's nobody shortening movies. Right. I mean, movies get cut, but they're not like, oh, hey, this is this is two hours. Well, let's make it like uh, an hour and fifty five minutes. Like, let's just shorten it for no reason. Um, let's give them less because I don't know anybody who's ever said like. Oh, I love that TV show, but I wish there were two fewer seasons of it. Well, you know, I think the thing you know is, what? I, I don't notice it in the regular season, and I wonder if it's because I'm a Royals fan and I'm watching Royals games, and then I watch the Dodgers and the Red Sox in the World Series, and I'm like, man, this game is really taking a long time. And I yeah. think maybe it's for that casual fan that doesn't have a vested interest 
necessarily in the teams that, that you start to really notice how slow the pace is. Yeah. No, yeah, I think I think the you're right. I think the vested interest is a big thing that um but I mean that kind of goes back to like this is only an issue and obviously MLB's uh whole point of emphasis is growing more fans effectively, mm-hmm. um which is more sales and whatnot for them. Uh, so yeah, I think they have an interest in, you know, bringing the more casual fan, making them more of an active fan, but you risk it at, you know, how many times can you change the rules before active fans start becoming less active? Right. Cause you're like, man, I just don't like this. I don't, I don't like these rules anymore. I, I would almost argue rather than the games being too long, that maybe the season is too long Yeah, because there definitely comes a point where you know who's good and who's bad and oh man my team is going to lose 105 games this year 104 games however many the royals lost last year there came a point where i was just not invested in the season anymore and it would have been nice if it ended a little bit sooner yeah i I agree i definitely think that the season you know even if you bump it i don't know what the right number is but i mean even if you and, and also i'll tell you what it does suck and obviously football is this way too but it does suck if you're in the playoffs, having to sit at Coffin Stadium in October when it was like cold as heck outside, you're like, oh, I, you know, this is not. If the season ended in August and then September is when the playoffs started, that'd be cool. I think that'd be perfect kind of weather. Yeah, and I wonder if that, the, the, you know, that, that that's something that a lot of people I think have brought up, just making the season a little bit shorter, maybe back just even to 154 games like it used to be, and maybe shortening the playoffs a little bit. Uh, would would be a way to because we don't want November baseball. It gets pretty cold, uh, but you know we'll see. I, it, it, that's, that'd be the ba- the owners giving up a lot of revenues. Yeah, yeah they, I was gonna say <laughs> they don't like to. That's do. a lot of commercial time you're throwing away. Yeah. Well, you know we'll see what kind of we'll see how the rule changes affect the Royals this year. Uh, you know Tim Hill could be on notice if he has to make more than uh, face more than one hitter next year but uh he'll adjust he's working on a change up up now so yeah he'll be he'll be just fine so we'll uh we'll update you with all the 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 latest rules and how they impact the royals but uh you know we got a little bit over a week until baseball so uh we'll we'll keep you up updated on the royals news and uh and sean thanks so much for joining us thank you have a good night thanks for listening everyone